Welcome to the Mojo Mecca. We are a media, wellness and artistry hub that from its inception into this present moment has always been a shared space for candid storytelling, deep wisdom and inspiration for living a life rich in ritual, creativity, heart-centeredness, purposeful pursuits and a whole lot of mojo. Beyond this podcast portal, we have created a radical new social app and supportive online community. If you're down to drop into an online space full to the brim with authenticity, artistic evolution, powerful resources and kindred hearts from all around the world, it's social media made magic again. We also meet each Sunday via Zoom to dance, meditate, make art and commune with one another. We're so grateful for the continued support of Mojo Mecca and all that we offer. And so take a nice deep breath. Come right into this present moment and receive all that you need to from this conversation. Today I'll be communing with Brittany Jane, a somatic ecologist, dancer and accredited Wayapa practitioner whose work aims to merge embodiment and ecology. Brittany holds a Master of Environment in Somatic Ecology, where her thesis explored the use of somatic dance in connecting and communicating with the natural world. She is currently also completing her doctorate. She has over 15 years of experience in dance and embodiment practices, complemented by seven years as a sustainability educator, where she delivered bachelor and postgraduate tertiary courses for hundreds of students in over eight countries. Her research and her work aims to address the root cause of today's overwhelming ecological challenges, that being humans' disconnection and disembodiment from nature. She co-founded an organisation called Wildsong, which offers deep nature connection programs for children and adults that serve as a catalyst for connecting people to their wild self and to the ecological communities they belong to. She also offers women's only rewilding immersions named Sovereignty. We explore the much needed fusion of the academic and somatic worlds for impact and recognition, the power of moving from the mind to the body and bringing the body on board so that we can live whole lives rich in deeply felt experiences. Decoding and exploring our own ancestral lineages as a way of empowering ourselves and lessening the need to grasp at or appropriate Indigenous cultures that are not our own as a result of lack, disconnection or trauma. Key practices for microdosing somatic nature connection in your life and moving emotions through your body, play as a business ally, and so much more. This conversation was one of the most amazing ones I've had the pleasure to do in this podcast format. I received so much from it. I had full body chills and tears at so many points in this in this communion and I'm just so grateful for Brittany and for this time and space we got to share. Enjoy. So my name is Britt and I am the co-founder of an organization called Wild Song, which is all about reconnecting people with the natural world and their wild self for holistic well-being. 
and I say holistic in the sense that it's not just for our personal well-being, but also for the collective and our communities and the wider ecologies that we belong to. Um, I also run some work through an organisation called the Earth Body Movement, um, but that's in the process of evolution at the moment now. And that weaves in a lot of my work in ecosomatics. So I'm currently doing my PhD in a subject called ecosomatics, which bridges the world of somatics, which values the body as a source of knowing, a source of knowledge, um, with the world of deep ecology, which understands our interconnection with all of life. And so it bridges those as a body of work that uses our embodied intelligence to inform our connection with life and the world. And so um, I'm kind of juggling those at the moment as well as my PhD. Um, and that work has really evolved so much over time. But I look back and I've thought a lot about where, where the original inspiration came for this work. And I think there's so many interwoven threads. But for me, I was blessed to grow up on the coast of Perth in Western Australia. And those were the days where... We spent all weekend at the beach and my entire childhood was just sandy toed and, <laughs> and very scruffy hair. And I remember my uniform at school had like the triangles from where I used to wear my bathing suits. And so that upbringing that was so connected to my local ecology, I think I took for granted. And it wasn't until I realised, well, it wasn't until I moved overseas and was living in places like Hong Kong and was spending a lot of time in different countries where I was exposed to a lot of um, kind of urban lifestyles that I realised how rich my childhood was um, and I had completely taken it for granted because anyone who grows up in Perth, it, especially at my age when I grew up, it was like a country town that happened to be a city. So it was just beaches and parks and um, <laughs> drive-in cinemas and all of those things that just felt normal. Um, but now, particularly, you know, as I'm offering this work to young kids as well, I realise it's becoming less and less normal and uh, it's having a huge impact on, you know, our, what, where we're headed as a, as a collective. So that's really inspired me. I think I'm really grateful for my upbringing in that sense and for the exposure that I've had to the natural world. And of course, like anybody else, have had their challenges through childhood, which has supported my own journey of healing. And so being able to interwe um, interweave those um, pathways of healing and deep nature connection work has kind of led me to where I am now. Um, I was also a dancer. I, I don't think I can remember a day when I haven't been dancing. I probably came dancing out of the womb. Uh, <laughs> and... I remember significantly friends at school um, laughing at me as I kind of used to do what was called a finger dance. I'd be sitting at my table at school and I'd be, you know, couldn't move my body because the teachers won't allow you to move around in your seat. But I'd be doing all the dance moves with my fingers. Uh, and so I can remember dance being such a huge, huge part of my life, just an expression of my essence. Um, and... I ended up kind of going down the path of professional dancing and ended up leaving that because of significant trauma that happened in my life. And my journey away from dance in that kind of performative sense uh, opened up this huge area of my life for other passions. And I moved overseas and I got involved in kind of environmental work and permaculture work, which really took up a huge chunk of my 
um, career path and adult life. And then it wasn't until probably five or so years into that, I had my breakdown breakthrough moment <laughs> and um, came back to Australia. And at that point, I had this deep, deep soul knowing that I needed to dance again. Um, but I didn't want to do it in the way that I had previously done. And I wanted to not leave my environmental work that was so important to me and gave me such sense of purpose that I was doing something meaningful in the world. And so I proposed myself the question, gosh, this is like five years ago now, six years ago maybe, um, how can I pursue these deep loves, um, both dance and nature connection, that was so essential not only to my well-being but for my healing and for the world's healing moving forward. And that led to a master's thesis that's now led to a PhD and, um, and led to the kind of a career path that has really, um, is really championing this idea of ecosomatics as a modality that I believe is so important to this conversation about how we raise the consciousness of the planet. So that was a very long story, but that's kind of the <laughs> highlight moments of, of my 30 years and how I got to where I am now, really. Yeah, amazing. I felt so many you know, kindred threads in, in our story too. From me also, you know, growing up on the beaches in Perth, just being, you know, such a salty little baby, swimming, surfing, surf life saving, just, yeah. So I had that visual so clearly in my mind too of, yeah, just the culture, you know. Yeah, like you said too, you know, you do often take those things for granted and it is often, yeah, when, when you do return perhaps at a later time, in your life or like you said having other experiences in different places it really provides that perspective right like and you you can see it in a new light or in its yeah for the blessing that it was um i'd love to to kind of explore why you um felt to incorporate or you know go down the more um academic path with your work too cuz i've found there's been yeah i it's so powerful when those worlds collide because I, I feel and sense from your work that it is so much about just that um, raw intuitive natural connection you know with with the natural world that is instinctive and probably you know doesn't require any education around it like it just is but to merge that with the you know academic world and wanting to really go about it in that way that could um, have more impact you know I'd love to to hear about your academic journey too and how you know those two kind of do weave together to really like you said like also just give give it more credibility and allow it to have that that wider reach which shouldn't be a thing but it is you know like it's just western society we see it in that way but i also so value education too i am a mentor and i'm studying to be a counselor and have that that degree there you know and i feel like as as you said too, just yeah, seeing seeing the value in that education and having that that there to kind of dance around, you know, like to kind of move with. Um, yeah, so I'd love to to hear about your journey with that. Sure, um, and yeah, great question because uh, sometimes I reflect and I think, how did I get to academia and doing this work? And I have the dance myself of, you know, do I need to write about it or do, can I just do it? But 
I think there's a deep value in doing both. And like you said, being able to have that, um, this work recognised in spheres of influence that, you know, require sometimes that bit of paper and that um, thesis to be able to validate um, what's being talked about. My academic journey, um, I suppose in terms of where I'm going now, was when I applied for my master's degree, I actually came back from working overseas um, on a permaculture project for a couple of years over in the Philippines. And I came back, I actually got quite a significant <laughs> kidney illness um, that forced me to come home and renegotiate kind of my work overseas in that, in that way. And I decided to go back to study. And I also had some questions about how I saw foreign aid being conducted and how I felt like sometimes there wasn't that much empowerment of the people and really critical cultural aspects weren't, um, I suppose, emphasised or talked about. And so one of them was I, I was over, our, uh, over in the Philippines after the typhoon happened. And one of the most healing practices I saw for that whole community wasn't all of the tents and, um, you know, enforced food regimes and all that type of stuff that came in with the huge aid organisations. It was this, in, this incredible, like, Rio de Janeiro-esque um, <laughs> big party that they had in town um, that despite all of the tragedy that had happened, um, they still actually, you know, put together all their resources to have this amazing carnival um, that was so healing for the community. It was kind of this, it uplifted their spirits in a way that was like, you know, we're not, go we're here, we've survived um, and we're not going to let this dampen our spirits and our hopes for our future. And so I was really curious about that because I found that as one of the most critical aspects that was going to determine where that community was headed. So I had a lot of questions and I came back to my to study my master's and I applied to study a master of environment that was focusing on aid and development work and through the lens of you know what I just discussed and in that process um, I started dancing again so I got the call to from my own intuitive intelligence to kind of I had to I had to dance again and that would be an important guide for me. And so I started to going, going to these amazing somatic uh, classes in five rhythms. And through that, I had this little epiphany of going, wow, I'm really, really loving this work of um, finding, you know, this work so empowering and uh, this work being my dance and being so critical for all these little realizations that I was having along the way with my academic work. And I proposed in that moment, oh, what if I can bring these two worlds together? And it kind of um, covers some of the questions that I had earlier about development work anyway. Um, so that kind of helped with my guilt that I felt about <laughs> stepping in a different direction. Um, and so I proposed this idea to myself, what, I, what if I could weave these two worlds together, as I mentioned before? And just as, you know, in beautiful universal timing, I did a bit of a search and I found an amazing mentor called Jamie Marlow Thomas, who I'm now really good friends with, um, who created a modality called Wayapa, which is an Indigenous movement modality that's based in his knowledge as a First Nations Australian. And so it doesn't teach specific cultural practices. 
it takes a lot of the um, principles of his culture and applies them to a practice that's for everybody. Um, and the movement sequence that he's created out of that are based on traditional dance moves but have been put in a contemporary format. And so I kind of came in and learnt this practice of Wayapa and was so inspired that I, um, when it came time to write my master's thesis, I had this little niggling in my ear, what if you chose to do this as a master's thesis? Um, and what began as kind of just a, oh, a curiosity, I started to, in, um, in, I started to research it more. And this huge flood of information um, hit me like a brick wall, realising that um, I was beginning to research something that I felt was the missing key in so much of this environmental movement, and that is bringing the body along. And so I got really passionate um, because I saw an avenue in which I could still pursue a lot of the things that I was really passionate about in the environmental sense, but weave in this traditional knowledge as well as my own ancestral wisdom around the body and bring that on board to actually make progress where we have failed to because we continue to just target the thinking mind in all of these um, movements that have been started. So, yeah, I got really, really nerdy about it and I have, a, I have been ever since because um, I think there's also a part of myself which loves the practice, loves the mystery, loves the, you know, things that can't be written down. Um, and in, in academic language, it's really great that there's even a name for that. It would be called like tacit knowledge, which means knowledge of the body. It's hard to be explained in words or, or written down because it's something beyond the English language. And I got really excited about um, using the knowledge of science or the language of science to, determine, to, to explain what I was experiencing on a somatic level. And I thought the, ac the academic world would think, this is crazy, because I wrote my master's thesis on using dance as a way to connect to what's called the more than human world, which is essentially the larger ecology. Um, but I did it in a way that wove the knowledge of the academic world and the language of the academic world um, into an embodied practice that made sense for everyone, or hope to anyway. And I, during my master's presentation, I actually got up and I danced my presentation as I was talking. And I thought, they're going to think I'm crazy, but that's all right. After that presentation, I had academic, um, like an environmental scientist, hardcore environmental scientists that are pretty, pretty strong sticklers for, um, you know, very traditional methods um, of, of inquiry and coming up to me and saying, wow, this is really interesting. I want to learn more. How can we explain this more? And I honestly think that academia and this kind of non-academic world or the world of practice they're actually talking about a lot of similar things. And academia just seems like this big scary world because yes, it is full of a lot of bureaucracy sometimes. But um, I think if we can crack through our own stories and narratives about it, we can harness it for progressing some of the things that we're already so far ahead in, um, in the kind of practice non-academic world. But that knowledge exists there in the academic world. We just need people to bridge that. And so 
there's so much research on, for example, on meditation and the benefits of meditation. People who are meditating knew about that for a really long time. And they were like, yeah, of course, of course it does. But, but in when, in, when someone was able to bridge that world, um, then meditation took off. So I'm excited about the bridging of these worlds because there's so many things that I've learnt about somatics and ecosomatics and using the body as a guide to bring us home to the natural world that um, the discussion is, is there and the theories are there in the academic space. We just need to bridge them. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about that and I get pretty nerdy about it. <laughs> I get pretty nerdy about, I'm like, oh, these guys are talking about the same thing. And, um, you know, across different fields. And so, yeah, it's my little nerd out moment. And um, I never thought that I'd be the person that would be, you know, Dr. Britt bringing this stuff to the world. But um, turns out there's quite a, there was actually kind of a funny story of how it came to be that I did my PhD, but I might get into that later. But anyway, that's kind of my academic journey so far. And um, it has its, it has its challenges for sure. Um, but I also made a, I made a commitment to, to my body in this work. I was like, you know what? Everyone who does, who's done a PhD is more than happy to share their PhD horror story with you <laughs> about how terrible and hard it was. And um, I acknowledge that and I validate that. But I also um, am deciding to rewrite my own story around that and choosing how I want it to be for me and bringing my body alongside. And so for the whole process, it's actually been incredibly easeful. Um, yes, there has been little moments of like, you know, getting my literature review out. Um, but for the most part, it's been a lot of going down to the beach and dancing and finding insight from my body and then writing about that or using that as a, um, as inspiration for where I want to take that next. And I think if we can bring more of that practice into the academic world and, and the academic world is willing to, because I, I feel like um, there's a lot, of, a lot more open-mindedness in that space, then I think we should do it. Yeah, amazing. It was so awesome to, yeah, to just hear about all of that. And I, yeah, I completely agree. We do need more of those, you know, world bridges because like you say, there are, you know, there's so many amazing people who are in the practice of it and, you know, we've met a lot of them and they're just doing their thing, but it's, yeah, they, and yes, they have like good influence within the spheres that they are in, but yeah, to really have it be, um, yeah, expanded to that perspective or taken seriously in that, in that kind of more academic world, there are, yeah, it kind of can I think the, there's like almost like a language barrier, you know, which I feel you were, um, you know, breaking down, you know, being able to speak to both of those worlds. And, and like you say, to, to show people that they are both talking about the same thing, you know, like just in a different way. Um, yeah. So that was really cool. I'm really inspired by you and really excited for you to, to become a doctor. <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah. I'm really curious about, yeah, the work that you've done with people in, in kind of, so this has been all in the midst of um, your study life too, right? Like, so doing retreats and journeys and classes. I know you do a lot. <laughs> um, I know you do work with kids and, and um, yeah, and adults and then women's work too. I'd love to just hear more about that and, and to explore how how you've seen 
I guess, yeah, what you've studied and then your own internal processes and practices be, be applied, you know, to the world and in practice and in embodied experiences for people. Um, I'm not sure which aspect you want to start in, but yeah, maybe just share a bit more about, yeah, the kind of the work that you've been doing in, in bringing this, this knowledge and this passion and, you know, wisdom to, to people, to groups. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I so agree as well with what you said. It's so much more about being a translator, about saying, you know, you're actually speaking the same thing, but it's just you're speaking a different language. So I totally agree in that. Um, so out of the study that I did with my master's, I felt like I wanted to put some of the things that I learnt into practice. And from that, I spent, I took a couple of years um, away from study because a master's, if anyone has done one, um, they're tough. <laughs> the PhD I found actually way more relaxing than my master's because master's has more, pretty, uh, more tight deadlines, whereas in a PhD is much more self-directed. But after my master's, I took some time off just to actually integrate what I had learnt um, through my thesis in ecosomatics and put it into practice because even though that was a Kickstarter for my kind of own journey with it, it was very limited in that I could only do it as a what's called autoethnographic study, which means I was only doing a study on myself. And I had never actually applied the principles that I was discovering or, or, or un, how would you describe that? Because it's not necessarily discovering. It's almost re, relearning because everything that I was finding in the literature or finding through my own practice was deeply written in my cellular DNA, in all of our cellular DNA. So it's not a matter of discovering something new. It was kind of uncovering what's already there. Um, and so I wanted to actually apply that to other people and see if these principles worked outside of just my own experience. And so that led to the creation of um, a business called the Earth Body Movement. And I started offering these Wayapa workshops from um, my diploma with Jamie. And I also started running a retreat. So that retreat um, that I created in the Kimberley came into fruition through a beautiful um, journey of synchronicities um, that I ended up going to the Kimberley a couple of years before I started my first retreat up there, met an incredible elder that just blows me away, um, Edna O'Malley, who's a Mirawong elder in the East Kimberley region. And I shared this incredibly profound moment when, with her when I first met her and um, deeply connected about bringing, bringing more women up there. And so um, when an elder says, bring more women, you do what the elder says. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, so the following year, I came up with my first retreat group um, and to apply a lot of these principles that I had been rehearsing in my own life and, and teaching in a small scale through my way upper classes and local little workshops that I was running in my community. But this was the biggest kind of scale um, project that I'd offered. And it wove in a lot of my ecosomatics work with um, deep cultural knowledge and um, work in nature connection with, you know, different cultural in, uh, perspectives. And that retreat, oh, my gosh, changed my life in so many ways and um, was kind of the launch pad for a lot of the things that, I was, that I'm doing now. And particularly around women's work, women's work is something that I 
strangely avoided for so long, even though it brought me so much joy and I loved it so much and it felt so easy. But I think I had this little thing on my shoulder saying, well, you should make this work accessible for everyone. And I still, um, I still would love to do that, but I can't deny now. And I don't deny now that that work with women just completely lights me up. So, um, that really, uh, was the launch pad for a lot of my other women's work that I'm offering now. And so that work with the earth body movement, I started running that retreat on a yearly basis. And then um, I came back and decided from, from that experience in the Kimberley came back and decided to offer more work locally. And I also started getting more into these skills in rewilding. And I'd been doing that for some time, but what I began to be really interested in is there's kind of two worlds of rewilding and I've um, not necessarily two separate isolated worlds of the rewilding space, but because they're definitely um, related, but I found there was kind of the skills aspect, which is more focused on the bushcraft. And then there was this deep soul aspect, which was about purpose and meaning. Um, and kind of like, yeah, deep soul work, really. And I felt that my my work really touched on the soul aspect. And I would love to actually experience more of the bushcraft stuff. And I, I was in, in a partnership at the time who my partner was more interested in the bushcrafty stuff and I was kind of in the soul, soul realm. So that was why I satisfied that. Um, and I always thought, oh, yeah, I'll be the soul. I'll, I'll do kind of the soul work stuff. You do the bushcrafty stuff. Then um, we split. We decided we were going to create a, um, a nature connection organisation because he had a big passion for kids and bush schools and all this type of stuff. Um, and so we decided, okay, let's, let's launch a little bush school locally. And it was originally me supporting him to create this bush school. And when it was done, like I'd step away because it was more his business idea. And uh, <laughs> it's now evolved to be kind of a bit different actually. But um, anyway, through that, through that creation of that business, started offering a lot of the bush school stuff. And then we ended our relationship. And in offering a lot of this bushcraft stuff, I kind of had to maintain my skills and couldn't rely on um, my partner to kind of fill that gap for me anymore. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this a little bit more. And through that practice of, you know, making, learning how to make fire by myself, not relying on a partner to kind of gather the materials and, um, or to go to a workshop and then get the materials that I needed for weaving or whatever through that practice of actually learning the other side of rewilding um, that wasn't necessarily as innate to me as the soul craft work, uh, I felt this deep sense of empowerment, like this full warrior wild woman came out of me. And um, it was like I became fearless and experiences like sleeping in a shelter that I built by myself um, where I felt so held in the womb of the earth, um, conquered all of these fears that I had to offer so many things in the world. And yeah, I, I tapped into this deep primal warrioress energy. And so through that, 
led to the work of um, the, led to the creation of the work that I'm offering now called Sovereignty. So, alongside um, the Bush School work that I still do with um, with my ex partner, although we're really good friends, we've we know, we've known each other since we were 12 and 13. So, we had a long friendship before, um, which is called that organisation is called Wild Song. That has now evolved into a wider nature connection business that not only offers work for kids, but we're going to be offering survival programs and more kind of soul crafty programs. And within that, I offer this work called Sovereignty, which I was kind of leading to before, which is brings together now these both worlds of rewilding with this deep soul work and my work in ecosomatics and dance and um kind of that vision questy type experience um, out in nature, but, you know, not necessarily vision questy because I haven't been trained in that particular lineage or tradition, but experiences which tap into that similar, um, similar aspect of our consciousness with a lot of these really grounded earthy skills that harness or really um, empower this kind of warrioress energy within us. So, we can move forward with both a deep sense of our soul alignment and purpose and the fearlessness and power that being in charge of our own resources and life gives us. And not that we have to choose to go and live out in the bush and, you know, make fire with our bare hands every day. But when you, when you're able to do that and and know that you have the choice, that is power. Choice is power. And so that's where I kind of want to be moving more towards now in the work that I'm doing with women. So my work with the earth body movement is kind of um, slowly closing down. And I think with my PhD, as it evolves, that'll inform the next steps. I've already got downloads of where that's headed, but that's a whole nother conversation. But where I'd like to be headed with my women's work now is um, weaving those kind of two aspects of rewilding together. So um people feel empowered and soul aligned in what they're doing and their body is completely on board in that process too. Wow. Yeah. The women's <laughs> work sounds amazing. Like I think I, that's when I first re, you know how you have someone as a friend on Facebook and you don't see their post for a while and then yours just popped up, you know, I think a month, but you did one around the, the new year, right? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So something popped up and then I just immediately knew that I needed to have a conversation with you and speak to you about what you, you know, what's going on, like what you do. Um, and yeah, so there was something in that, that like really struck such a chord with me and, um, yeah, I'd love to even hear possibly, you know, just some of the most, I don't know, beautiful or profound experiences that you've seen other, you know, or processes or, um, you know, moments that you've seen women go through, you know, specifically in those, in those experiences, in those, you know, they're not really retreats, right? It's, it's, I guess, it, I don't know, what, what word do you call, do you use to call oh, it? I'm in the process of figuring out what word, because it's not yeah. really retreat, but it's not like a, it's not like a camp either. It's, I don't know what you <laughs> Um, I'm still in the process. I've got my immersion. Yeah, exactly. I'm still flipping through the thesaurus looking. For yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to just hear, you know, some, some feedback that you've gotten or even just direct experiences you've, you've witnessed. Um, yeah. The women go through in that, in that kind of space, you have some one or two nights, right. Where they just sleep outside on their own too. Yeah, so as part of the last Sovereignty Retreat, and I've, I've built it into all the programs now that I'm doing um, with Sovereignty, 
is a 24-hour solo. And so as part of that, um, it's about on the fourth day of a six-day program and they go out um, after lunch. So we kind of have a communal meal together and they go out after that and stay out for the full night by themselves until the same time the following day. And they just have to check where the sun is in the sky when they come back. And they're encouraged to take as minimal gear as possible if they can, just a blanket. But I, I'm not strict um, when it comes to that type of thing. I'm much more of the feminine way of, you know, you author your own experience. If you want to take your whole tent and gear out there, which you, you can do that. Um, or if you want to take just some minimal amount of gear as you want, maybe just a yoga mat um, and build a primitive shelter that's going to keep you warm, then you do that too. So I am encouraging of women to have the um, have that courage to chart their own sovereign course when it comes to that. But I have seen women come back from that experience completely different um, people than when they left. It was it's such an amazing thing, and. We work, we work up to that point. So a lot of my work um, is really, really passionate about somatics um, and so understanding how our nervous system works. And so I used to actually judge my work uh, for not being like whiz-bang transformational enough um, because it wasn't giving these people these incredible peak experiences that are going to like blow their head off. Um, and I soon became, I soon learned as I matured and kind of deepened into my own study and let go of, you know, needing to be that. I realized that actually what we deeply need as a culture is not these experiences that blow our head off. We need these kind of deeply integrative experiences that tap us, um, that align us more closely with the deep time of nature. And if we're speaking about this reconnection with the feminine, which is um, part of what my work does, although there's definitely a sense of balance. Um, we've actually got to operate more on her time <laughs> and it's not about kind of pushing ourselves in that regard. So um, a lot of the journey and the retreat up until that point is weaving in these really powerful um, tools that help to integrate us and prepare us for an experience like that. And so when, when we have an experience that is, you know, for others, that would be a real big challenge, sleeping out in the, in the dark by yourself. I know for me, had you asked me five years ago, there's no way I could have done that. And um, having, having that build up allows people to feel empowered with the tools to be able to go out and do that experience. And so for me, an absolute highlight of the retreat is seeing women come back from their night out um, having the experience that they're meant to have because everyone's experience will be was everyone's experiences will be different there's no right or wrong some people have like lightning bolt things of insight and some people just have a really peaceful nothingness just sense of being experience um, and so people always have the journey that they're meant to have but one of the most amazing things that I often find when people come back from that experience is that they say things like I wasn't afraid I wasn't afraid. And that is the most incredible thing that anyone could ever say to me because I see the women come on their first day tense, anxious, excited, nervous, all the things. 
um, you know, layered with the with all of the energy of the modern world. Um, and then getting to a point where, and, you know, and asking questions, asking a million questions about the, about the sleep out already. And I do a, a kind of mentoring called Coyote Mentoring, which doesn't really answer many questions and actually empowers people to come to their own um, sense of sense of knowing within themselves rather than robbing people of the learning experience. And so I say you've been given the information, all the information that you need right now. <laughs> Sometimes that annoys people, but also it empowers them to trust themselves and trust that they have everything they need. And then so to, to then see them on the other side, um, knowing their stories of challenges in their life, knowing the stories of oh, all of the ways they judge themselves, stop themselves from progressing on their dreams and um, all of the ways that they tell themselves that they aren't good enough or fear, you know, fear whatever's out there, fear that something's coming to get them and have that victim consciousness. That was a big one for me and kind of where, why I designed this because my experiences out there realised that I was, um, I was for a long time terrified of the dark, terrified, and could not imagine being outside alone in nature by myself because I feared... Um, things were coming to get me more so the paranormal than kind of a, a rogue bushwalker. And when I was able to relax into that experience, um, as so many of the women did um, after having those tools offered to them and practiced throughout the retreat, they came back with this understanding that there is no victim or perpetrator. Everything is existing in your own consciousness. And everything that you think is that is coming to get you out there is actually an aspect of you that you're not willing to willing to integrate and look at. And that's not about pushing yourself and oh, like roaring at this thing. Maybe that might be their experience, but it's about how can you actually relax and trust that you are completely held by the earth. You will always be okay. You will always survive. And having, you know, we don't have like cougars or coyotes or anything like we're in the US. So, you know, there's no wallaby, crazy wallaby out there coming to get you. Um, so you will survive and you will return with, a, with an understanding that the only thing that's coming to get you out there is your own, um, is, is the kind of baddies in your own mind. And if you can overcome them and integrate them, then you dis dissolve the illusion of fear that you've created for yourself. So when women come back to, to me and say, I wasn't afraid, that means so much more than just, I wasn't afraid of sleeping in the dark. That means, yes, you can finally stop being afraid in your life because you realize that no matter what happens, you have got you. Like, and if, and in a real physical sense, like shit, you could go and make a shelter in the bush and light fire with your own hands if you really wanted to. And it's, and I'm not saying in a physical sense that you need to do that. But again, the fact that you realize that you have the choice, you always have a choice of how you choose to live your life and where you, where you assign your power. And you can move forward with a, with a sense of fearlessness that the only thing that will ever stop you is your own mind and um, your ability to integrate all aspects of you will dissolve that fear. Then yeah, having that, ex watching women come back with that experience, with that expression in their body and their energy is just like, pfft, it's what it's all about. It's so good. Wow. Yeah. I had so many moments of uh, like welling up with tears as you were speaking through that too. And uh, 
yeah, it feels like, as you were saying, it's just that about that, the tangible direct experience of that because you know it's it's interesting even in the kind of more you know esoteric or spiritual worlds it's like there's so much of that um lingo thrown around you know like we are a part of nature you know like you are always connected to the earth or you know mother earth and these things but it's i think what you're providing is just that time and space to to have that deeper tangible you know experience of that you know without anything else getting in the way you know and uh and carving out that space for that because we do in little pockets you know but I think um in that sense to have that you know, as that sort of you know vision quest style you know to to really um be completely present with that and just yeah it takes a lot of courage too I think like even for you know, even though those women came in, as you said, with just so much, um, you know, tension and anxiety and so much building there, like there was already so much courage in that anyway to, to show up, you know, to, to sign up to, to be a part of that experience. You know, there was always, there was already that, that deeper knowing that that was an experience that they needed in some way even if they weren't completely sure what it was <laughs> like you said with the you know the coyote sort of answers you know it's like it's okay not to know like you know you are here because you're meant to be here you know just just trust that and um yeah you got me all inspired to 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 carve out more time to have those um you know more direct experiences of that that connection with nature and yeah it's it's beautiful, you know, because you, you kind of, as you were, you were saying earlier, just like bridging, you know, all of that body of work that you have within you and then, you know, that serves the tangible, you know, like that serves their tangible experience with nature. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think you understand. I do understand. <laughs> it like creates the sa- maybe even more safety towards like, oh, okay, I can trust this woman in in like guiding us to do this experience or Mm. you know to be holding it or whatever it is you know they've just had those those tools and like you said too with the the skill even just the little bush skills and things you know that's that's all providing that that empowerment too and that trust i would love to be a part of one of them (laughs) i'd love to have you there yeah i i so agree with what you were saying um, of having that direct experience because what I have learned from my PhD work and then have seen in my practice work is that it's not enough to know. It's not enough to know our connection. Um, and the 60 years of an environmental movement that hasn't really progressed us towards where we need to be has demonstrated that it's not enough to know. People know about the challenges that we're facing when it comes to issues around our environmental stuff. Um, people know about issues around social injustice and, um, you know, there's nobody on in Australia that doesn't know about um, why, why we shouldn't celebrate January 26th and why that should be a day of mourning. Like, it's not enough for people to know. People have to feel it. We have to know it in our bodies. And I just like to describe connection as like riding a bike or, or like, say, learning to surf. You can look at a surf, someone surfing, and this is actually a great example because um, riding a bike is maybe you can probably get on there and give it a track crack. But most people with surfing, 
you would be like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I think I know how to do that. And you've got to move your body like this. But until you get on a surfboard and integrate the movements of what it means to be a surfer and know that in your body, you can't, you can't have that, you can't have that knowing, you know, of what it means to be a surfer. And that then has this trickle down effect to your relationship with the ocean, your relationship with your body, all of this type of stuff. So connection in a way is like, is like surfing. You can't just know it. You have to be out. You have to do it to know it. And yeah, I think that's the missing piece when it comes to healing our relationship with our wider ecologies and kind of breaking through these binaries of human and nature and and recognizing that we are all one interconnected ecosystem and if we are ever to truly get that we have to know it in our bodies to be true um and same thing with like overcoming fears and um and learning how to move with our emotions and all those things that i kind of cover in the retreat um it's not enough just to kind of learn them from some somebody on a motivational speaker. Sure. Like even listening to a podcast that can be really empowering, but until you have the experience in your body to know what it feels like to, to meet that and move through it, all of those things, um, then that's when you're really going to crack the empowerment code within yourself. You know, using that example of yesterday, if people felt in their own bodies, what it was like to be a first nations person on that day, Of course we would change the date because, you know, having an embodied experience of that completely changes your whole perspective. So, yeah, that's why I'm so passionate and nerding out on all of the ways that um, we need to bring the body along because I think it's the missing piece for so many aspects of where we're trying to head. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely resonate and... Yeah, as you were as you were saying that, I was just yeah reflecting on, like you say, just the you know the environmental movements and things like that, and um, yeah, there does still seem to be that that missing link of of having that yeah not only just direct experience of you know that that deeper connection to the natural world, but also like perception of it or relationship to it and. I feel like that's why we're probably quite inspired to learn more about Indigenous culture and Indigenous ways and just um, observe and, and, and hear about, you know, the stories and um, laws and uh, ways that, that they, you know, were, you know, enmeshed in nature and, and even just like beautiful um, mythology and gods and goddesses and, you know, like spirits of different things in nature and, and elements and beings you know and just to hear about that it just it just creates that deeper experience of nature too I think just you understand what I mean right like just I know, I totally yeah, it just creates that whole other like sphere of of you know if you see the sun as like a father or like as a life-giving you know light you know you have that or you see the moon as a grandmother, you know, and you see it as that nurturing figure that's there in the night sky and you could pray to it or you could ask, you know, or you could just look at it and, and feel that relaxation or, you know, you could just lay on the earth and, and like see it as a mother, see it as something that's holding you, you know, having that sort of perception come in there and, and forming that, that sort of relationship to it or just, 
just beginning to like to deepen that even if it feels funny in the beginning or like why would I consider this a you know <laughs> um but all these things really yeah they really help and I think like the more you kind of do that and carve out time for that the deeper that kind of that connection happens you know and it's it's universal but it's also so personal you know mm. no it's so true um one thing that I found really fascinating from my master's research is when I was looking at different indigenous dances and I found that a, a really common theme across a lot of Indigenous dance is the embodiment of different animals and elements in the landscape. And that's a really core aspect of the Wayapa practice that I teach as well. And to, to the outside observer, it might look that a lot of those might look like a lot of those cultures are just mimicking um, those animals or saying, oh, this is, this is what the kangaroo does. So we, we kind of mimic that movement. But that was never the sense um, from an Indigenous perspective, at least from my knowledge as a non-Indigenous person. So I am limited in my capacity to comment on this. But from what I've read and heard, those dances were, weren't mimicking. They were about inviting the spirit of that being, of that animal, of that element to actually enter your body and move you. And through that practice, there was this unifying of the body and the earth. And an important um, kind of outcome of that was not only seeing yourself as this element and as, this ki as kin to this being that was kind of moving you, but also we it, it was able to recognise there are forces beyond the human um, in the wider ecology that have what's called agency, that have their own consciousness that have their own capacity to move you and that really helps to disrupt these kind of um anthropocentric which is really human-centric hierarchies that we've created which is that humans are at the top and everything else um, is at the bottom and we have dominion over everything else because we are the only ones with consciousness we are the only ones um, capable of rational thought and so those dance practices weren't just some kind of celebratory performance, although, of course, they served in aspects of, you know, celebrating marriage and, and celebrating rites of passage and all of those things. But they served as such a powerful medium through which we understood that there is consciousness in the ecology around us and that we can participate with that consciousness through our movement but also our movement itself informs our relationship and our inter sense of interconnectedness. And so this is where I get really nerdy and excited about the capacity of movement and dance specifically, because this kind of knowledge was known throughout all of our ancestry. And this is a kind of pathway that I've been more passionate about, not more, but just very excited about over the last probably two years. Um, I most of my work up until this point was looking at different Indigenous cultures and particularly focusing on the work and relationships that I had done here in Australia, the First Nations communities here. But about two years ago, I went to an amazing festival down in Tasmania and I had an experience um, that I won't go into the full story, but the experience um, resulted in me having this moment where I had what I felt were like my own ancestors whisper in my ear and say, why have you forgotten about us? 
And my ancestry is um, Celtic and Scottish, English, Irish. And so I started to pursue um, a bit more research in my own ancestral traditions around this idea of using dance to connect with nature. And what I found was that they are all there. It is so there, um, but it was, it is, <laughs> there's a lot of trauma around those stories as well as to why we don't have it anymore. And it's really interesting to me to reflect on what, how that trauma and how that history of my own ancestry influences now how we see dance in general and how we also look at Indigenous dance as just kind of a, as a, um, unnecessary hobby or like a cultural practice that we might, you know, go, yeah, that's cool, but we don't really get. The like, reason- a, like a gimmick or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the reason why, um, we don't have that, why we don't have that deep understanding um, or we've kind of lost those is through that, is because of that trauma. And um, so, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. But something that I found particularly interesting was um, looking at my ancestry and finding, that yes, there was all these practices around dance and embodiment and nature connection and um, and a spiritual connection and identity that's wrapped up in relationship to the land. Um, but with the influence of the church and kind of more formalized religions that prioritized, um, how do I put this? Pro- like prioritized um, praying to the upper realms. And so in different cultures across the world, they understood that there was these different realms um, being upper realm or the um, or heaven, um, which is where all the gods and goddesses are. There's the middle realm, which is all the realms of like fairies and elves and all those things. And then there was this lower realm, which is more like the underworld. And you know, religion will say that's my also hell. And so, in with the influence of this kind of um, mainstream religion in the church, there was an emphasis on the upper worlds, which is a very masculine actually, because it's all like love and light and about transcendence and coming out of the body and moving towards the heavens. And what that did was then demonize anything that was deeply about the underworld, which was all the feminine realm, which was all sensuality, embodiment, deep earth connection, relationship with our soul. And through that kind of um, disowning that part of us, what that meant was that anyone who um, showed characteristics of that realm was then meant to be associated with the demons or with, with hell or with Satan and things like that. And so this is really interesting for me to reflect on because I realised why people who were in, in my own ancestry, whether it be witches or people who practice earth magic or people who practice these dance, ancient dance traditions, as well as indigenous people across the globe, whose world and entire way of knowing was deeply embodied, deeply informed through the senses, why they were considered as animals, savages, um, and why that was demonized because it wasn't of this upper realm. And so I think that all of the kind of trickle downs from that has really influences where we stand today with our 
understanding of dance and why I think we're going through this kind of reclamation process as, as a collective, we're seeing this rise of the feminine and more embodied earthly ways of being. Um, and so with that, um, I think we're seeing the re-emergence of dance as an important way of knowing and relating to the world that exists within all of our dance traditions but has just been kind of adulterated through our um, mainstream ways of seeing the world, which was influenced by the church and religion. So, yeah, um, it's very it's very interesting when you get into it, all of it. <laughs> that point that you just made was just like it just clicked in such a profound way for me about, yeah, just how the, yeah, organised religion in particular, you know, Catholicism, how it like, yeah, it really idolised that, that masculine, which is that, um, yeah, the masculine energy of the kind of nothingness, you know, the complete, you know, and that is that, that upper realm, right, like of the just vastness and, you know, kind of trying to get away from, away from the physical life or whatever or like focusing on that and uh yeah like you said just the you know and then also just in that process shunning anything that was you know deeply somatic and feminine and it was just really amazing how you you know you put that together and I had never considered it in that way but it makes so much sense right and then it also could relate to just you know, having that focus only in the mind, you know, like just really only living up here, you know, in, in the upper kind of realm of your body, you know, just circling around the head instead of like the deeper feeling through the whole body, you know, the whole story that's going on. Um, so that was, yeah, that was uh, amazing to to integrate and, and hear from you. And I feel like I'm going to be, um, you know, musing with that one for a while. <laughs> Yeah. it's so true what you said about like how that also is represented in the our relationship of the mind and the body and that separation more more so um and there's a somatic ecologist or someone who wrote a book around somatic ecology i think it's the only book out there that is kind of speaks directly to somatic ecology um a man named robert bettman he said that you know we can't expect to um re-embed the human body within the wider ecosystems and the natural world unless we actually re-embed the human within the body um, because because of that influences of, of the church and um, and also then the scientific revolution which kind of disconnected us from anything that was kind of embodied and said you know what that whole like classic thing of Descartes which is I think therefore I am which really is an example of you know we're just we're just heads walking we're just minds walking around with these kind of machines below us that help our mind do stuff um i think what we're the movement that we're kind of moving towards now is this reintegration and recognizing the importance of the body and an embodiment in general and in doing that in actually re-inhabiting our own ecological um community that is that exists within our own body um that process is a critical first step in actually re-inhabiting ourselves within the world and so yeah i um i really like what you said about that because i think it's a critical aspect um for this wider conversation about re-embedding humans within our local ecologies um and you know from what i've researched 
there's so many people in the academic world, which is nice that that's also mentioned in the academic conversation, is that the reason why we have got to the mess that we're in, the this kind of sole reason, if you peel back, yes, there is lots of, you know, other, you know, if you go down to the intricate details, but on a more simplistic level, the reason why we're here is, is disconnection. It's disconnection and this percep- perspe- <laughs> perception that um, humans and nature are separate. And when we are able to have these embodied felt experiences that inform us that that's not true um, and we can only get there from actually having those felt embodied experiences of being in our own bodies, our, our primary ecology, um, then yeah, then that's, we can't kind of expect to progress further. Mm-hmm. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> I know, me too. I've had just so many, yeah, tingles and <laughs> like welling, welling up quite a bit too. And, and I, I completely, you know, to go back to what you said before, just second that, um, that exploration or that, that deeper feeling of connecting with your own ancestral line. And I, I feel like, it often in in certain aspects of your perhaps if you want to call it a spiritual journey but you know what I mean just kind of embodying or being in more of those spaces you recognize that there are so many um, indigenous cultures represented and you know obviously there's the whole conversation of um, appropriation and and all of that and and you know, the ways that we engage with that because we're just looking for some sort of thread, like, you know, some sort of connection to a deeper way. And a lot of it's like really um, innocent in a lot of ways of, you know, not not wanting to do harm, but then also realising that, yeah, so much of that, uh, I don't know, way or even industry, if you want to call it, that does profit off, off cultures that are, uh, are still really struggling in so many ways yet you know certain tools or aspects of them are taken and you know profited off by other people who aren't really struggling as much so that's a whole other you know story and tangent we could go down and um you know we all obviously contribute to that and continue to in so many ways and yeah but i just i loved what you said about just you know the ancestors of our own bloodlines like calling out and and really wanting us to deepen in that in that study and in that exploration and I think especially for so many of us you know white people in Australia it's there's so much you know disconnection because you your your ancestors like they're not from this land (laughs) like you know like it's you're never going to find that really really deep-rooted connection to this place because it's a different like there's a, a seeded you know a culture that's been seeded here for thousands and thousands of years and we do our best to really honor the place that we are and and you know try to walk in integrity but yeah really um and i think a lot of indigenous people agree with this sentiment like explore your own ancestry you know like dive into that you know (laughs) and I'm sure they're happy in certain moments to share about their own but really you know I think for just us as individuals the real um bounty I guess could be found in in our own you know ancestry and um yeah there's so many other like parts to the story too you know obviously if you if you believe in like you know past lives or all of these sort of things but as we're talking kind of more about the the embodiment and and the yeah the body you know somatic connection that's seems in my mind to be more rooted to a 
an ancestral connection, like a DNA sort of, you know, like it's kind of along more of that line, right? So that, that feels, yeah. yeah. I think it's such an important conversation to be had. I recently did a little um, Facebook video about this actually, about the importance of healing our own ancestral line as a, as a medium for overcoming the kind of incessant cultural misappropriation that we see. And this became super apparent to me because I'll openly admit that, you know, when I first got into this work, I became transfixed on learning from um, First Nations peoples in, in, in this land, Australia, because I think I was so desperate to find something that resonated with me. And I wasn't going into that situation wanting to take or um, steal or anything like that. But there was probably an unhealthy bent towards how I was um, progressing towards that relationship because I was so desperate to find something that resonated with me. And so um, when I had that whisper in my ear, you know, why have you forgotten about us when it came to my own ancestry? For me, I've recognised that as an invitation to actually do the work on my own ancestral healing. So when I'm coming to relationships with um, Indigenous people, I'm not coming from a sense of I'm needing something. Um, and uh, what I realised in, in the process of doing my own ancestral work was as I um, as I dove into that, I, I found out how much trauma is there when um, and that is deeply encoded into our DNA. If you have a kind of Celtic, Scottish, English, Irish background, um, is that we have our own stories of like Earth's Earth-centered culture being completely destroyed and and wiped out. Like I was listening to an amazing podcast by a woman named Lila June, um, who is a first I love th- her. She's amazing. She's amazing. Like her poetry and, you know, yeah. just who she, the way she articulates is just, yeah, I just resonate. Every th- I always make a point to, to seek out podcasts she's been on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, continue. But, yeah, I wanted to put that in too because, yeah, <laughs> she is amazing. I've met her once before actually in the US. She's pretty Real deal. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine so. And so she was in a podcast and talking about her own ancestry and that she has her, um, her First Nations side and also a side which is deeply European. And when she went on the journey to do her own healing work, she looked into her ancestry on her European side and spoke to um, how she was absolutely shocked and blown away by the amount of trauma that was there. And... Um, it was a trauma that was never spoken about compared to what her First Nations um, lineage had gone through. And I'm not saying in any way that it means that any was more or less, but it was just um, from what I received from that conversation that, um, that she was in in that podcast was that there's a lot of trauma there that I don't think is discussed. And perhaps that trauma has something to do with why, you know, quote-unquote white people are continuing to participate in inflicting that trauma on others now. And so I got really interested when I, in my own ancestral journey um, coming across the book when, um, when the Body Keeps Score, I think is the name of it. Um, it's a book um, by Bessel van der Koot, I think his name is. 
and it talks about how people who have experienced significant trauma in their life, um, because that is often encountered in their own communities, family units, all those things, and it happens at a very instrumental time, often during childhood, or you know, it can still have a huge impact any time in your life. Um, what that does is as a, way, as, as a way of coping with that experience, the brain changes its neural pathways as a way to integrate that and it normalizes it. And therefore we carry the energetic signature of that trauma being normalized in our body. And what that means moving forward is that um, because we hold that imprint of trauma as normal, we then continue to seek out experiences which repeat that pattern of trauma, even though we don't want it. And this is why you see people that continually attract, you know, um, people that are going to be violent towards them, even though they're trying to break away from relationships that end up in that direction. Um, and so I got really curious about how that applies to my own ancestors and, and, you know, our relationship with Indigenous cultures today because I, I believed after that conversation um, with Lila June and, and, and doing research in my own um, ancestors and the trauma that happened there, I think that has a lot to do um, with why um, there is a need to, to inflict that same trauma on Indigenous peoples and um, other cultures today because there is unresolved trauma that has been normalised there and therefore we continue to repeat that pattern and feel that it's okay. And so when I did that little Facebook video the other day, it was about the fact that unless we do our own work on our own ancestral healing, I think we will continue to come to those conversations and relationships with Indigenous cultures from a sense of taking because it's not something that we are um, doing out of um, cruelness or maliciousness or um, ill intent, but it's more just a pattern of being and um, a pattern of being and a, and a way of being that is um, deeply encoded within our energetic signature. And unless we move that through our system, unless we do the healing work, then we can't expect to um, overcome an issues of racism and misappropriation and things like that um, very quickly. And again, this is why the body is so important because the body carries all the memories of that and the DNA of that. Um, so I think that's when it comes to, it's something that I've been thinking of particularly when it comes to like rewilding skills because we do have people contact um, me as um, and the organisation in general and the work that I do with women and stuff like that asking about, you know, am I Aboriginal or do I have First Nations background? And um, and, I, and I personally don't, but I have a very deep respect and I feel like, you know, I'm always learning and I never um, say I'm going to get it right all the time. Um, and I'm definitely open to being wrong and wanting to learn how to do better. But I also feel like um, I, can, I can say that, you know, despite the fact of maybe not always getting it right, I, I am committing to doing my own ancestral work and so I, I'm endeavouring to come to those conversations and skills and, and teachings and relationships, um, not like desperately needing something that I don't have. I know that I have this knowledge within myself and um, now I'm coming with a sense of curiosity with how, how we can connect more deeply and create a sense of um, not sameness in the, in the sense of like uniform, in like, 
homogeneity, which is like making everyone the same, but um, more just connecting human to human. Like, oh, this is oh yeah, this is my ancestry. You have this in yours. Like, this is this is kind of cool. How can we teach each other? Um, and I think it creates much more rich and balanced um, relationships moving forward. And I think it's a, I, you know I'm not going to say it's the way, but I think it's a step forward in um, healing a lot of the cultural um battles we have at the moment um and yeah all the societal issues that that continues to perpetuate i'd love to hear um even perhaps on a more like yeah practical level like how you guide people or like how would you recommend people if they're maybe listening to this and you know feeling to go perhaps on their own little you know, somatic journey or body connection, you know, ritual, maybe with some, some music on or something like that. Like what are some ways that, that people can start to really make that deeper connection with their body, perhaps even if they're just like hearing and understanding what somatic movement is, you know, and, and, and how to really, I mean, so many of us, like we all love to dance. Like I'm so much like you grew up dancing, just always loved dance. And then, you know, when traveling and, you know, lived in Bali for ages, I used to always do ecstatic dance. I love dance. It's just I've had the most amazing, profound experiences ever with dance. But um, and, you know, free flowing movement dance. Um, but, yeah, I would really love for you to to kind of, yeah, perhaps give some insights or some guidance on on making that somatic connection and, and ways that we can start to you know even just little practices that we could do to to keep strengthening that connection and having those kind of deeper body experiences <laughs> well there's kind of like two or three that come to mind um the first one i want to say um because i'm also really ex- uh passionate about making it accessible um and i think it's amazing that you can go off and do these retreats and have these like deep immersive experiences and practices. But the reality is, is that we don't have space in our lives to do that all the time. So how can we microdose it? So it keeps it really regular. Um, so some of the practices that I recommend seem so simple that you're like, Oh, why would I do that? And I remember when I first started like learning about this stuff, I thought, Oh, that's just, that's too simple. It must not be very effective or, um, you know, powerful in the ways that, you know, it needs to be according to my cultural conditioning. But what I've learnt is that the simplest practices are the most profound. And so something that I recommend for everybody is that how can you microdose nature connection and body connection um, every day? And that can be going out, um, you know, to eat your breakfast on the lawn and put your bare feet on the on the earth or one that I do all the time. (laughs) Um, At first I thought, oh, you know, what if people see me? But now I don't care. Is that when I'm driving my car, I'll give myself kind of a chest massage or I'll I'll run my hands across my um, arms and I'll kind of massage my my legs and, you know, little moments just to kind of bring you back in. Another one that I often do if I'm working at the computer for the whole day is that I'll go out my backyard. I'm blessed to have a bit of a beautiful backyard, but you can do this anywhere. If you have a balcony, you can do this. Um, and go out and ex- open, consciously open your sensory body in that take a moment to notice how the wind feels on your face. 
take a moment to look at different aspects of the landscape and to take in different depths and shades and movements um, with your eyes. Take a really deep breath. Like they're so simple that we don't do them because we don't think they're powerful. Um, but those little micro doses of self-connection and nature connection, well, self-connection in nature um, are so powerful if we have that regular practice of them. Like I can say there's something that I teach called wide angle vision, which is just kind of opening fully your periphery gauge by going out and just doing a bit of like two minutes of wide angle vision, um, which is a part of your opening your sensory body in the mornings. Every day I'm noticing that my sensory body is opening deeper and deeper and I can, I'm, you know, suddenly I'll look over there where that um, two seconds before the bird flies over because my senses already picked up on that that was going to happen. And you'll have these little moments like that that are like, I'm like becoming a ninja um, that are pretty great. So that's, that's one that I would say is that how can you actually microdose them in, into your everyday routine without having to add extra if you do have the time, though, um, and you feel like going for kind of a little nature sojourn, um, is that one really beautiful practice that I like to do is, is what I call wild wanders. And wander in nature with no particular um, direction or aim or ambition. And it's so funny how... how infrequently we do this. Like we go out bushwalking and there's a trail and we go from A to B. Um, but we very rarely go to a place and just allow our intuitive body to guide us and go for a wild wander. And obviously to the point where you don't get completely lost, but um, let your body guide you and guide you to a particular place or a being that might catch your attention. And so um, a beautiful thing that I like to do is kind of if I'm looking for um, a sense of connection or an answer to a question or guidance, um, very being very mindful about this relationship being reciprocal as well, not just going in there and kind of expecting to take either. Um, but going for that wander, letting my body guide me to a kind of a being that I feel drawn to in that landscape, whether it be a beautiful tree or a rock or, or something, and taking a moment to actually get into the mind of that tree or like how I described how a lot of our ancestors and Indigenous people today welcome the spirit of that being into their body, have that similar practice where you actually move that being within you. And, um, yeah, it's a very powerful thing to, to recognise and feel the agency of another moving within you. And I think that's a powerful tool for connection. Um, the last thing I'll say so that you've got the kind of micro dosing, you've got that practice for really um, expanding your awareness to realise the participation of the natural world in, in who you are and, and its capacity to move you and how that really deepens your connection. The third one I'll say is my thing that I do on a daily basis and this is moving emotion. And that practice is so critical to being able to maintain a clear line of communication with, um, with all of the forces out there because in our crazy world, <laughs> we are exposed to so many energies. And what happens is um, I teach this in my work um, about 
we are all deeply empathic. That's just kind of what it means to be human. People just think, you know, people are a bit more sensitive than others, but I think we're all, all deeply sensitive. Some of us has just been numb, more numbed out than others. But being exposed to so many energies that are out there in the, in the landscape, um, we're constantly picking up all of these kind of energies and what we do as a, as a culture, because we haven't been shot, we haven't been taught that, um, those aren't to be taken on as ours. We do take them on as ours and we then squash them down in our body because, um, an express, any expression of that is kind of, um, looked down upon. But if we understood that emotion was simply an invitation to move, literally emotion being energy in motion, so energy requiring motion, if we um, took, it with on our, took, it in, um, took it upon ourselves to create a daily practice where we commit to moving energy, and that could be, this is, I do this to one song. I commit to one song because every, you know, when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do like 20 minutes of dance, you might do it for a week and it never happens. Um, when I wake up, even when I don't feel like dancing at all, I'm like, oh, no, I don't really, especially not today, I can muster up the energy for one song. And, of course, then you're, it, it often rolls into many songs, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I just need to move this energy and I never, ever regret it. I've never once thought, I wish I didn't dance today. <laughs> like, that never happens. Um, and so I think that's something that I would recommend if you're wanting to maintain a deep level of communication with your inner knowing that, um, and, your, and, the, you know, and the wider ecology that is wanting to be there and supportive to you and offer you guidance. If you want to maintain communication with that, you have to do the work to be able to clear all of the gunk um, that's blocking up all of your channels, which is that energy that you have taken on um, from the external world that needs to move. Um, and the best way to move that is moving your body um, physically and, and dancing to one song a day is a really powerful practice I've found for doing that. So it's probably more than you want, more than you asked for, but um, they're little things that I, I love to offer as little takeaway things that people can practice and out of my retreat, out of the sovereignty retreat, if the one thing that women do, like if the only thing they do is just dance to one song a day, like that is winning for me because that in itself is powerful, like powerful. <laughs> so simple and powerful is, is, is what I'm all about. No, for sure. Like it is, you know, it's always so simple, really. <laughs> we just like to overcomplicate it, but truly, yeah, the simplicity is, is really where it's at. And mm. if it seems too simple, it's probably because, you know, it's going to be something profound for you, you know, just at least just try and do it. And like you say, I really love that you, you express just kind of, yeah, setting that bar to just, you know, just a few minutes. And then, you know, once you're in that zone, it will naturally flow. And yeah. uh, I love that. I'm going to incorporate that ritual from now on because... I, I haven't really been in a, a regular ritual of dancing recently. As you've been speaking, I've been like feeling into that. And, and yeah, you've really inspired me again to, to carve out that time, you know, even just in the morning and, you know, as I'm getting ready for my day, just kind of, yeah, just put something on and just have a little boogie and, and see what's up. <laughs> totally, totally. And, yeah. you know, 
especially if you're creating things in the world, uh, um, if you're a woman listening to this um, as well, like activating, doing like kind of even just hip circles or something that's activating energy in our creative center is going to like put you miles ahead if you're then having to create things in the day or kind of call upon that life source energy to create output, um, you're going to be putting your best foot forward if you're actually bringing your body on board in that process as opposed to trying to pump it out from your mind. It's like, well, actually you were given the gift of this creative energy, so why not utilise it when it comes, when you really need it? But, yeah, as, as a kind of feminine force, the way that we uh, harness it is we move. We move. We always have. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild to think, yeah, that so many of us just, you know, get up and, and go, you know, without and go about our day usually more so, you know, work in the mind or, you know, the work that, that most people do is more centred around that, right? Going yeah. to work and, yeah, especially working on computers and, yeah, not having that, yeah, that space for fluid movement or, even like I really like going to the gym I appreciate the gym for like I feel like it's it's a it's an energy that I like engaging with but I also I see that you know even that movement and you know connecting to the body it's like it's only gets to a certain kind of level it's like it's really good to you know get those endorphins pumping and you know get your feeling strong and you know feeling um healthy you know but it's that deeper, you know, that more, as especially like you say, as women, just that more, that fluid movement and that that connection to, to our yeah, to our life force really, to that kind of really organic non, you know, there is no structure to it, you know, and I feel like that's really where you get into those those juicy places where. Um, yeah, just those, maybe there's a, a release that needs to happen or maybe there's, you know, um, just some, some peace that needs to be felt or, you know, something that needs to be um, let go of or, you know, whatever it is on that particular day. But, yeah, those I feel like for me personally, yeah, it's it always comes in those more kind of organic movement spaces, right? Like, yeah, they're all important for different, you know, moments and. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, your work obviously in the somatic, in the more somatic healing work, it's, you know, it has to come from that, that kind of more um, fluid and organic space, right? Yeah. And it doesn't have to like, it doesn't have to look like dance. That's the biggest mm. thing. I struggle sometimes calling it dance because, and I want to call it movement, but then that's this whole other, <laughs> seems a bit more, it seems a bit aloof when you call it movement. Um, it's, but I always find the English language to be quite limiting. In the, yeah, 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 um, yeah. The capacity of words, you know, to kind of articulate things, especially of this nature, that are kind of vast. <laughs> yeah, so true. So sometimes, sometimes I'm laying on the ground and just breathing, and I might be kind of stroking my arms, and that's my dance for like three minutes. And so um, when I was able to give myself permission to just move how my body wanted to move as opposed to having to look like dance or being how I know dance to be, um, that was when I really started to tap into a lot more of my somatic wisdom and what needed to move at a more um, intuitive somatic level. 
And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's something that I find that a lot of women are super relieved when they come to the retreat. I'm just like, no, no, you just move how you want to move. Like there's no, you know, there's no um, rules and, or how, how that should look. And so mm. yeah, I think that's also liberating because, um, you know, what we've been told about dance and what it should be is very different to how our bodies know it to be. So coming yeah. to that, um, yeah. that is really important. Yeah, it's even a deeper kind of level than than those, you know, five rhythms or ecstatic dances, you know, because I find even oftentimes in those spaces, while they are like really liberating and have been, yeah, very, very powerful spaces to be in to just have that space to, to move, but there's also a way that a majority of people move within that space too. So it's kind of you know, a style, I'm sure you can like, con- you know, remember you know, those sort of spaces. And um, yeah, I feel like what you're articulating is even that, that even more like intuitive level of it, right? Where it's, it's really not about any, you know, anyone else in the space or, you know, it's, it's really tuning into to the body. Yeah. There was a hilarious story, actually. So my first introduction to Five Rhythms was actually very much of the latter. It was this somatic class. So my Five Rhythms teacher originally in um, Melbourne, Nat, she was amazing. And, um, yeah, she ran, she was a, um, a dance movement therapist. And so her work was kind of more somatically inclined. And she would offer, like, the kind of traditional Five Rhythms model on Friday nights, but Thursday day classes that I used to go to was very internal. And there was like eight people that would show up to that class. And it was kind of, you know, all of the stuff that we talked about, it was very much following the intuitive, authentic expression of your body. It doesn't have to look like anything. And so I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever discovered. And not to say that five rhythms isn't that because I've had some amazing experiences dancing that. But then when I kind of came up to (laughs) Northern Rivers, and I was like, oh, expecting this thing that was like, you know, 10 people might show up. I went to my first five rhythms and there was like 200 people and it was like this huge dance rave and that was amazing but totally not the experience that I was expecting or desiring at that time. And, um, yeah, I realised um, how, yeah, despite the fact, uh, despite the value that, that those kind of worlds of ecstatic dance offer, which there's, there's many, so much value, um, there's actually very little spaces that pe- people can come and dive deeply into that somatic space as opposed to um, very tribal, t- trancey um, kind of vibe. And, yeah, I was just at the, my last retreat, actually, one of the women said, she goes, you know, you should create, because I've, I run some practices there which are kind of very much more somatic focused. Um, and she said, oh, you know, you should run these kind of things locally. So it's, uh, the seed is definitely there to offer that in my local community as well because um, it's, I think, a little aspect that's missing in the dance space and um, as well as the deep earth connection with the, pra- with, um, with the dance. So, yeah, it's definitely brewing in my mind. I have a lot of ideas for how I'd like to um, weave my PhD work into that too. So it's all in evolution and exciting and I'm kind of everything that I've created to this date has been little whispers from being out in nature um, or from, you know, waking up um, and having a dance and then having a big insight as soon as I wake up, as soon as I'm in that dance. And um, that's the beauty of when you're kind of somatically um, well committed to the practice of somatically tuning yourself to that, um, to those whispers 
of what's available out there to you, um, it becomes a very strong source of guidance. So yeah, I'm just waiting for the next, waiting for the next cue. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's such a beautiful way, like, cause you're obviously engaging in, in business in this way too. And, you know, having it serve you, you know, financially too, and, and, you know, have it be a project that can serve, you know, the many aspects of your life and feed you. Um, and yeah, it is so much of that somatic and, and feminine approach to business too, which is more about the receptivity and the listening, you know, and that, and that can create also more success in the world if, you know, for attracting people to, to, to joining your work or to engaging in what it is that you're offering. And, and yeah, as you said too, just allowing your projects and your businesses to evolve as is organically, you know, coming to you too and not even having to be stuck on doing one particular thing or being known for one particular thing, you know, like, being you and you know engaging with all these different things that you're interested in and and allowing them to kind of yeah change as they need to like you were saying with just letting go of like the earth body movement you know like just allowing that to happen you know and and uh moving forward with what's uh what's showing up now you know what's like feeling good for you to lean into now and i think yeah, it's definitely um, a direction that I feel, yeah, a lot of us who are kind of, you know, having these sort of heart-centered businesses and purposeful pursuits that we're engaging with, it's kind of, they are almost like um, beings or, you know, like aspects that we're, we're engaging with, you know, and we're in relationship with and we're allowing them to evolve and in, inform us too as we kind of like, as we grow and evolve and, you know, study more or, you know, have different inspiration in this and that area and go on our own, you know, journey of inner knowing and <laughs> exploration too. So yeah, you inspire me in that way too of just um yeah, just really continuing to to show up for for the work and and have it be a sustainable business for you too in your life. So yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's always a <laughs> It's, it's a dance. That's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, like I, the, the decision to kind of wrap up or, um, honor evolution that the earth body movement wants to take came from really committing myself to, um, alignment and, what I found from more deeply connecting to my own body and actually, you know, walking the talk with all my practices in my daily life and the way I'm designing my business and, and having that lifestyle um, was that I've committed to doing things that only felt in true alignment. And when I have those moments of anxiety or, um, you know, desire to numb or anything like that in my body, I know that there's, um, there's something for me to obviously lean into there to me inquire about, but um, it's very obvious where I have those points compared to where I feel completely in flow. And for me, I've felt this kind of like weird anxiety around um, the earth body movement stuff. And, and that's communicating to me in a very embodied way that it, it's, it's ready to actually um, move forward in a, in a different way. And I felt that coming for some time. And um, one I, one thing I wanted to speak to you about, and this could be a whole conversation, but um, is that I liked the way when you described in terms of designing the business and the way that you're doing 
doing it differently and through this kind of heart-centered approach um, and I'm still learning and navigating that all the time but um, I'm finding through the commitment to doing things differently I have found play to be my greatest ally and it is so different to any business training or conditioning that we've had um, up until this point that kind of idolizes this hard work, hustle, intense pressure um, type of, you know, moving forward and being successful. Whereas in, <laughs> I've found the complete opposite. And I think that's, um, I've been, it's, it's actually been nice for me, but um, I've been in some way taught by my own business that if I'm actually going to walk the talk when it comes to offering a more earth-centered, heart-centered way of being, and if that's what I'm kind of being the facilitator for, I can't do business the same way um, <laughs> that it's been done in them before. And it's actually going to, and through doing business, is act, the way I do business is actually the teacher in itself as well. And so play has been the most critical aspect of building success in what I do. Um, and I laugh because every time I decide to, I'm like, you know what, I'm going away for the weekend and actually just being a wild woman and, um, and you know, swimming naked in the waves and rubbing sand on my body and, um, and go, going and sleeping in a cave or whatever. And honestly, every time I come back from like when I just take a, I'm just like, no, screw all the emails. I'm just going and spending time and, you know, still being responsible with my business, but um, deciding to live what I'm actually sharing and teaching and be the vibration of it, not just preach about it, but be the vibration of it. I always come home and there's like five bookings. <laughs> and when I'm actually hustling at the computer and, and kind of in the low vibe of, um, of, of everything that, you know, often happens when we're answering emails for four hours and, and things, it, that's not when I'm making progress. And so, yeah, the message that I'm getting a lot from my business at the moment and from this work in general is that the most important critic and critical aspect of, of the work, of actually, you know, of even my purpose is being the vibration of what I'm teaching. It's not... And, and, even if the business didn't exist, that in itself is a great is is my greatest gift to the planet because, as you would know, in the work that you're doing, um, it's our vibration that mean that is you know everything. Um, if we are running an awesome nature connection business or um, heart centered business or healing business, but we are um, completely operating from a low vibe space where we're burnt out, overwhelmed, all those things. Um, there's a complete misalignment there and we're not actually being of service um, because that energy is what's being perpetuated out into the world um, and sent out into the world. Whereas if we, if we can get into full alignment and actually be the vibration of what we're trying to create and emanate, I think that is so powerful. And I'm a very big proponent of, you know, we we create the world that we believe is true or like um, the stories that we have in our mind about the world are true. And so if you choose to believe that the world is a terrible place and that, you know, climate change and we're, we're screwed and humans are terrible and all those things, yes, that's true. But if you, if you believe that humans are good, like we are good and our heart is good and we live in the most bountiful, abundant wonderland and 
and we have the capacity to, to connect and turn things around, um, then that will be true. And it's not a matter of anything being different. It's a matter of changing your relationship to your mind and changing your vibration. And um, so, yeah, that's what I'm, I, that's, a, that's the kind of way I'm approaching business and how I'm wanting to model a new way as well, not just through the work that we teach, but how we're actually doing it. And um, I'm learning all the time. Even I'm like, this is so cool. I just got to go away all the time and we're really successful. (laughs) Uh, I love that. I really needed that reminder too, I think. (laughs) Like just, yeah, just to be the vibration of, yeah, what it is that you are holding, (laughs) you know, and that's the thing you, like you were saying too, with the the practices, like it is simple. It is just being you, (laughs) but we like to make it complicated. And I think, you know, it's that kind of, we remember to forget to remember to, you know, we just, it's just the human conundrum. Right. And it's, yeah, it is part of the play really of just being a human and like, Oh, we're in the mind. Oh, we're in the body. Oh, (laughs) you know, which is, it's a, it is that dance, right? Like the, that's kind of the best word for it. (laughs) Yeah. Is and you're never going to get it right all the time. Like you just, you just won't. And so when giving, <laughs> once you're able to let go of that idea of perfection and just have it treated as this dance and treat it as play, then that's when the fun really begins. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do you want to like start to wrap up and share about how people can can connect with you and anything that you want to share as a kind of yeah a source for people to be able to engage with what it is that that you're offering or anything like that. Thank you for that opportunity. So yeah, my, as I said, my work with the earth body movement is kind of evolving. And so at this point when we're recording the podcast in January, 2021, um, that work is shifting and kind of um, morphing into something new, which may part of it may be represented in um, my work with wild song And then part of it may um, be part of a project that's kind of going to be more down the track um, as my PhD progresses. Um, There's a documentary in mind and all those things. But for now, um, if you want to connect and um, have the further the conversation, we'd love to um, welcome you into some of the programs that we offer with Wildsong and we being um, my co-founder and I, and so we offer programs for kids in Deep Nature Connection, which is around like bushcraft and storytelling and music making and all of those things. And they're based here in the Northern Rivers. So we run that out of a place called Broken Head, which is about 15 minutes from Byron Bay on a gorgeous property. And we run programs for three to 13-year-olds. So um, we've got three to five-year-olds, six to nine and nine to 13-year-olds. So if, if the kids' side of things is your jam, we've got um, that program. Otherwise, my personal programs in that um, will be Sovereignty, which I run two retreats a year. So the next one's coming up here in April, which is the 18th to the 23rd of April and um, October. So but depending on when you're listening to this podcast, they, they usually run in um, autumn and spring every year just to avoid the really hot, um, steamy months of the year and super rainy times and cold times um, where I live here in the Northern Rivers. And the best way to get in touch with um, us to have a chat about either of those programs as well as other stuff that we've got coming up like adult survival programs. So if you're curious about learning how to go out into nature with just, um, you know, 
your bare hands and maybe a knife or something like that. Um, and learning how to create fire by friction and um, do tracking and learn bird language and um, eat no bush foods and eat bush foods and all of those amazing nature connection skills that exist within all of our ancestry. Um, you can connect with us on our Instagram or Facebook. Our name is Wild Song. That's all one word. So Facebook, wildsong.org. And then our um, Instagram is um, at wildsong underscore. Unfortunately, the wild song just plain was taken. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, but, yeah, so wildsong underscore. And you'll um, come across our stuff there or info at wildsong.org as well as a way that you can get in touch with me and the programs that we offer. Um, I'm also in, um, available to offer way upper programs as well as um, work in private retreats for people. So something I do is offer kind of workshops in other people's retreats or get, get invited along to other festivals and things to run kind of mini versions of some of my somatic or deep ecology or nature connection work. So that's available there. Um, and our wild, our wild song, um, website is currently in construction. We've got an amazing website, um, designer who did our logo for us building our website. So eventually that website will be www.wildsong.org and you can go up there to book any of the programs as well as to get in touch with me about the, um, you know, hiring us for retreats or, um, public speaking or anything like that. So, um, yeah, for now, that's the ways that to get in touch. And hopefully in the future, there'll be um, more ways to engage with my research once it's published. If you do have an academic background, you can search Brit um, Brittany Laidlaw. Um, my last name is L-A-I-D-L-A-W. And you can find some of my journal articles that I've written about ecosomatics. Um, if you're that way inclined. And I'm always open to sending people as well my journal articles that I've written um, because sometimes you can't access um, them unless you have an academic subscription to a lot of the journals. But I just say fully to that and I'd be happy to, <laughs> to, to send anybody my individual journals if, you, if you're really interested as well. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And I'll, I'll leave all of those links in the I guess like the description box yeah. below um, and you know when I post about this too I'll obviously link link you and link wild song and and everything that you that you said too and I'm I'm sure that there will be many people really excited to continue to engage with you and um, I definitely am myself and I'm so grateful that I you know followed that little intuitive hit to have this this conversation with you too because it's been it's been a journey <laughs> i'm feeling really lit up like i'm feeling yeah it, it's been really beautiful and, and powerful too and I, I think especially the points around the the celtic ancestry um really struck a chord as it's something that i had been you know already feeling for quite some time and to really make this year be, you know, a year where I really engaged more with that sort of um, study and reclamation and, and practice of, of certain, you know, rituals or, you know, dance, like you said. And I was seeing myself even just putting on some, you know, Irish music or Celtic music or, you know, just finding that and just seeing how my body wants to move or, you know, just, just putting myself in that space and just seeing how it, how it flows and, um, yeah, just starting to make those those like threads a bit stronger. So yeah, you're really inspired, re-inspired. That in me too. So 
I can highly recommend the Outlander. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so, I was, I think I've watched this, them twice over <laughs> every episode. Soundtrack is like epic for, oh my gosh, that was pretty, yeah, it was kind of a, a catalyst moment in listening to those, that music. Cause I think there's something so powerful. I think oh, yeah. music in itself has that capacity to kind of crack open those cellular memories. Um, and it's particularly when we're moving the body, when we're doing that. So I'm so excited for you. If that's mm. mm-hmm. And I'm just really, really grateful to be invited to the conversation and, to be part of this beautiful community that you're creating through the Mojo Mecca as mm. well. I'm for you and, um, <laughs> yeah, grateful to be part of this movement with people like yourself. So thank you for the invite and the conversation. It was really rich. I just enjoyed having a yarn and it's so nice to be asked about this stuff because, you know, most of the time it's just me nerding out at my, <laughs> at my own work. So thank you for the opportunity to share. Really mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you.